It's a really great time, and those uh, things will, videos will be up online. Now, I want to segue into, I think, a way that helps us uh, enter into our passage today. As a church, we exist to bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. But there's another barrier that we are called to bridge as the family of God, and that is a generational barrier as well. And that leads me into our fifth commandment today, as we're going to learn about, we're going to learn about honoring your mother and father. And so let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're going to be at verse 12. We're going to look at this one passage today and draw out from it all that we possibly can. Exodus 12, uh, verse uh, 20, verse 12. We've covered the first four. We're at number five today. And so hear the word of the Lord. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land The Lord, your God, is giving you. Many say this commandment is the most complicated and most abused commandment out of the ten. And so we got a lot of work before us here with this passage here. And so honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. The Lord, your God, is giving you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, open our hearts to your word now. Open our eyes, our ears, Lord Jesus, speak to us in powerfully, uh, just profound ways that our hearts would be open to your will and your way for our lives this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Honoring your father and your mother. As I prepared this message, I thought a lot about my father and mother who live in Florida and uh, a message like this make you, it makes you go down memory lane, made me go down memory lane. And so this week I reflected on some of the positive memories I had and continue to cherish of my parents. My mother uh, is one of the more joyful people you'll ever meet. She has an infectious laughter that whenever she laughs, you can't help but join her in laughing. And, and I just thought about all the moments of joy that I had with my mother. The times that my mother would do homework with me. She was the one who really was the primary homework helper at home. And all the ways that she was patient with me to do homework. The long walks that we took in the neighborhood when she was window shopping and all that there. The hugs that she gave me. the, The affection that she showed. She cooked every single night for the five of us, my, my brother, uh, my sister, my father, and then when my twin sisters were added to the family, for the seven of us, she cooked every single night, and we ate at the dinner table every single night until I was well into my teenage years, every single night, wonderful memories of my mother. And then I thought about my father as well and the wonderful memories I have about my father. My father was the quintessential baseball parent. You have soccer moms, I have a baseball dad. And he would get me into baseball at five and six years old. And he'd be the father who, at the beginning of the season, he's on the outside cheering me on. Midway through the season, he's an assistant coach. A third through the season, he's the manager. By the end of the season, he's the president of the baseball league. And so that was like the progression of my father and the way that he was involved in my life. When I played basketball in high school, he had a job where he, could, he would get out early enough where he would uh, go to every basketball game that I had. He had a clipboard, so he would take down my statistics and all that, and we'd have conversations about my game deeply involved in my life. To this day, 
If it's cold outside, they live in Florida. If it's cold outside in New York City, he'll text me. He'll call me. He'll say, son, I hear it's 15, 20 degrees. Do you have your hat? Do you have your gloves? I'm thinking, dad, I'm going to be 40 next month. Uh, uh, Do you have your hat? Do you have your gloves? Wonderful memories. When I became a preacher at 19 years old, I became a Christian, started preaching all over small churches in Brooklyn. My father would be the one to drive me to all these little churches to preach. And in the, the, the context of preaching where I grew up in, the Latino Pentecostal tradition, if you preached a sermon, the measure of how good your sermon was, was the altar call. How filled was the altar? If no one came forward, that was a bad sermon. If everyone came forward, it was a fantastic sermon. So I'd preach to 30 people, 40 people and such. I do an altar call. And I remember the first time I preached, my father came down. I said, wow, God, God really spoke to my dad. I'm praying for him. Oh, Lord, help him. Help him all that. I'm about 19 years old. We went to the second uh, church that I preached in. I did an altar call. My father was the only one to respond. <laughs> I'm thinking, something's wrong here. Uh, something's wrong. By the third, I realized he felt bad for me. No one was coming up for my sermons except him. By the fourth time, I said, Dad, don't even come up. Uh, he's coming. Let, let's end the service right now. I, let's just go home now. <laughs> and so I have really wonderful memories of my father and my mother. And with all of this, my parents still had significant gaps. My father was 20 when they got married. My mother was 21 when they got married. Lots of gaps in their lives, emotional gaps in their lives. Now, they've been married 42 years now, but they would tell you, be the first to tell you, that there were many moments throughout the course of their marriage that they thought, this year, this marriage is coming to an end because of the emotional dysfunction, because of the emotional immaturity that they experienced. And for all the good that my parents did for me and for my siblings, there are still things that they did and didn't do that I have to wrestle with to this day, that I have to make sense of to this day. And I realized that my parents are not unique in this respect. That when I think about my life as a parent, my life as a father, I see all the gifts that I bring and and I see very clearly the gaps that I have. When I look at my own children and I see the ways that they think about themselves, some of the things that they do that I'm like, oh, what's that about? I realize that's me in them. That's the gaps that have been transmitted somehow in them. And so while our parents, many of our parents had gifts, our parents also had significant gaps. And so when we think about our parents and honoring our mother and father, for some of us, we think, yeah, this is pretty easy to do because of the homes that we came from. For others, it's a very complicated thing to do and it's very difficult to do. For some of us, it's an impossibility to think about honoring your father and mother. And so what does it mean to honor your father and mother? Even if they have passed on, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? What does our text mean? And it is here where we look at Exodus 20, verse 12. And I want to set the stage as I've been doing over the past few weeks. Now, as we have been in this series, the Ten Commandments, and we need to repeat this over and over again, are given not to free the people of God, but to show what free people look like. And that's very important. The Ten Commandments were not given to free them, but to show what free people look like. And so in the scriptures, you don't see God giving them the Ten Commandments while they're still in Egypt in bondage. 
and, and saying, obey these commands fully, and when you obey them fully, then I will liberate you. It doesn't happen that way. God, out of God's sheer grace, sheer love, sheer mercy, sheer compassion, uh, rescues the people of God, liberates the people of God, saves the people of God, and then he gives them the Ten Commandments to show what free people look like. And so the commandments are given as a result of their salvation. And so at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, it says, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God says, I set you free. But beyond setting you free, I want to do something in you. That it's not enough to be set free from Egypt. God wants to call us into something else. And you could be saved out of your sin, saved out of, out of, out of the, 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 the penalty of, of sin and death, and not enter into all God has for you. And so the Ten Commandments in this context are given because God says, it's not enough to be free from Egypt. I have a promised land. I have a destiny. I have gifts. I have riches. I have a future for you. And that's God's word to all of us today. It's not enough that you, you have been rescued. There is a new life that God is calling you into. And so to demonstrate this new life, God gives commands. And they're not arbitrary commands. They are particular commands of resistance. Because for 400 years, the people of God have been shaped, formed, trained, discipled in the way of Egypt. Particular behaviors have been shaped over 400 years, and so the Ten Commandments are given because of their particular experience. God doesn't give random, arbitrary commands. He gives commands that correspond with how they have been shaped. Let's think about this on a different, smaller level. Each one of us have come from family backgrounds from particular cultures, from different experiences. And if God rescued you, let's use this as a hypothetical analogy here. If God rescued you, there would be particular commands that would help you live into a different reality. And so let's say we came from a family that never forgave anyone. You withheld forgiveness. Generation after generation, no one forgave, but then you're rescued by God. If God was giving you Ten Commandments, one of the first ones would be, you must forgive or learn to forgive. Why? Because you've been shaped by your family in one way, but to be set free means I'm calling you to live in a new family in a different way. And so the commandments are very particular to the people of God, and there is universal application for all of us. And so for 400 years, they were shaped. And God gave them commandments of resistance. For 400 years, they had other gods. And so the first commandment is given, a commandment of resistance. You shall have no other god before me. The second commandment, they made idols all the time. They fashioned idols. But the second commandment is given, you shall not make any graven images or idols. The third commandment, for 400 years, they did not live revering the name of God. And so the third commandment is given, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment, for 400 years, they never had a vacation, no PTO time, no three-day vacation, no three-day weekend, none of that. And so then, God says, you shall remember the Sabbath. 
These are, these are commands of resistance. But now we get to the fifth one. Honor your father and mother. What, was, what has been happening for 400 years that God would make this commandment, that this would make the list? Honor your father and mother. Now, I want you to see the commands. The first three are directed towards God. The fourth one is almost a bridge between God and the Sabbath. It's about our worship to God and our relationship with others. But then the last six are all about our commands related to our neighbor. Three to God, four kind of a bridge, six to our neighbor. More commands about our neighbor than God. Maybe what this is saying is you cannot love God without loving your neighbor. Now, it's easy to think, I love God. People say, I love God. I love him. I love him. He's first in my life. I mean, we, we, God is everything to me. But what about that person? I hate him, can't stand him. No, not, not at all. That's an indication of our measure of love for God. Our measure of love for God is related to our measure of love for people. Oh, let's, uh, uh, stay with me now, all right? Our, our measure of love for God corresponds to our measure of love for people. And so you can't love God and not love people. It's impossible. And so the commands are given to show we cannot love God without loving people. And so when we get to the fifth commandment, the first word is directed to a family system. The first word is directed to the place where it is often most difficult to love, home. It's often easy to go go on mission trips and love people in another part of the world (laughs) than it is to love people close to you. Can I get an amen? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's easy to love people way out there. Oh, it's hard to love people right here. But God makes it clear the first command as it relates to our neighbor is found in our home. And the first word that God gives is the word honor. Now, this is important because for 400 years, no one was treated with honor. For 400 years, no one was treated with respect. For 400 years, no one was treated with dignity. And so this fifth command is given. There was no honor in Egypt, no dignity in Egypt, no respect in Egypt before the people of God. Honor. Now, the word honor means to recognize someone as weighty. the, The Hebrew word for honor is the same Hebrew word for heavy or weighty. It's to regard someone as as weighty. In in our day, if we were about to make a decision, we might go to a trusted mentor, someone who who has more experience because we deem their words to be weighty. Their words carry, that's a phrase, their words carry weight. And so when we honor someone, we, we, we hold their life, their position, their experience as weighty. It carries a lot of weight. 
When I was 24 years old, uh, I, I met Rosie. We started uh, seeing each other, took her to the movies, took her to Olive Garden. That's what I could afford. And, and we did all that there. And, and then I was like, hey, girl, let's just make this exclusive. You know, it's just me, me, me and you. And, and, and she said, well, you got to get permission first. From who? I said, from what? She said, you got you to ask my parents if we can if we can make this official, I said, I'm not trying to get married to you. I just, I just want to make this exclusive. No, you still got to ask my parents. And so I remember going to see her parents. And, and for Rosie, she was honoring her mother and father there because their words for her were weighty. They, they held a lot, of, a lot of weight. And so I went there and said, listen, uh, can, I, can I date your daughter? They said, no. And that, that, that said their daughter. They were good. They, they were good. They were good. And they said, Yes. But there were, for Rosie, and then for me, the, the word honor, it was about weightiness, to highly regard someone. And in this particular commandment, it's just not anyone. It's father and mother. Now, to honor someone, hear this, to honor someone does not depend on a parent's worthiness. It doesn't depend on the positive parental attributes that they bring. This is indiscriminate of what they bring to the table to honor someone. Now notice, to honor does not mean to feel affection for. To honor does not even mean to love. To honor doesn't mean to agree. To honor doesn't mean to obey. But to honor is to, is to regard them and their position as weighty, as heavy. I heard uh, to, to honor doesn't mean to trust. Some parents are just not trustworthy. They're not worthy of your trust because of what they have done. But you can still honor. And so to, to honor, I, I found Tim Keller's words helpful here, a pastor in New York City. Uh, he said to honor is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision to treat your parents with dignity and courtesy and to provide long-term loyalty to their best interests. Now, I need to say that this passage, when it was written, was not written just or even exclusively to children. That's an assumption that we often make. That this is for children, for small children. And I think when some of us hear this, especially parents maybe of middle schoolers or high schoolers, we love this command. I mean, we just, we just love this command. It gives us good just Bible stuff to put our kids in place. You know, when our kids act up, we, we love this command. Brush your teeth, clean your room. Why? Because the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. God said so. You know, just, just do it. Stop asking questions. And then we, then we remind them. The Bible says, honor, you know, honor me so that you may live long in the land. You know, that sounds like a threat, by the way. It's just like, you want to live long? Uh, honor me, okay? But these commands were not given primarily or exclusively to children. Now, rem- remember the context here. I want to show you what's happening with this word honor. The people of God are about to enter into the promised land, a land in which there's going to be battles, a land in which there's gonna, they're going to have to cultivate the land. A land in which there's a lot of work that's going to have to get done. And in Egypt, your value was based on what you could produce. 
Your value was based on what you could do. But God knows there are going to be people entering into the land who are frail, who because of their age, they're vulnerable. They they don't have the power that they once had. They don't have the strength that they once had. In Egypt, your value is based on what you could produce, what you could get done. And if you can't get anything done, later for you. But in the new land you're in, to honor means we don't discard people who are not deemed as useful. In Egypt, we discard people who who are not useful anymore. In America, we often do away with people who we don't deem as useful anymore, which is why there's a very real reality of a kind of ageism in our society. Where the older you get in our culture, in this American culture, we don't, we, we don't look to you as, as an elder necessarily. We look at you as what can you produce? You can't help us with our bottom line. Therefore, you're not needed any longer. Make room for somebody else. But, but, but to honor means I recognize that a human being is their dignity and, and their, their, who they are is not based on their usefulness. Who they are is based that they are made in the image of God. That's, and they matter. And so to honor our, our father and mother, broadly speaking, is to make space for our elders, to protect our elders, to treat them with care, to treat them with dignity, to recognize the gifts that they bring to the table. This is why I love in the book of Acts, it says when the Holy Spirit comes, it says sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. I love that the Holy Spirit does not discriminate. Amen. Uh, The Holy Spirit says old men, old women will dream dreams that the Spirit of God is not just for the young. Uh, And the Spirit of God is not just for the middle age. The the Spirit of God, how can I say it? It's also for the seasoned saints. Yeah, those who've been around for a while. That the Spirit of God is for you too, which is a good reminder that if you're still breathing, the Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God wants to use you. You're not done yet. You might have retired from your job, but you have not retired from the kingdom of God. God can use you with great power no matter how old you are. Oh, he uses Moses. Moses wasn't 25. Moses was 80. And he said, well, I mean, you got to get started, brother. It's time for you to get started. Abraham, 90 years old. And so it's a good word when the Spirit of God is poured out. It's for everybody. And so to honor our father and mother in one respect is a generational reality. But it is also a familial, a family reality, father and mother. And this is not without its challenges. Because many of us, many of us grew up in a home in which most of us, our, our parents, did the best that they could with what they received. 
For some of us, they were present. For some of us, they were involved. For some of us, they took us to baseball games. For some of us, they, they welcomed us. They hugged us. And for people like that, it makes it a little easier to honor your father and mother. But for others, it's not that simple. Some of you, you didn't even grow up with your mother and father. Some of you, your, your mother and father, they were not a good gift to you. Some of, you, some of them abused you, ridiculed you, ignored you, abandoned you, compared you, tolerated you. What happens when you come from a home in which it is extremely difficult to honor your father and mother? Now, there's an interesting book by a woman by the name of Alice Miller. She wrote a very provocative book. It's not a Christian book, very provocative book called The Body Never Lies. The subtitle is The Lingering Effects of Hurtful Parenting. The Lingering Effects of Hurtful Parenting. And in the book, she spends her time trying to essentially eviscerate, uh, have us ignore the fifth commandment. She actually says it's immoral to do, to obey the fifth commandment, and we should not obey the fifth commandment. And, and what she does, I want to I just explain her argument because I do think while I disagree with her conclusion, there is an important piece that I think she brings to the table. Her argument is we can't truly be free if we refuse to live in reality. That we cannot convince ourselves, or we should not convince ourselves that our parents were fantastic when they really were not. Many of us have revisionist history, the older we get, that we think, oh, my parents were fantastic. And all of our parents, many of them were fantastic. The vast majority of our parents were a mixed bag, some good, some bad. But her, her argument is, you, if, you, if you just think about all the, you have revisionist history, My parents were amazing, fantastic. Oh, they love me so much. She says, you're going to miss out on particular areas that you need to be healed from. The trauma that you have experienced because there is no perfect parent. Donald Winnicott, a child psychologist in the 1950s, has said it this way. He said, the the problem with, with kids and what kids experience is really twofold. The first issue that kids experience is that bad things happen to them that shouldn't have happened. Abuse, trauma, uh, all of that there. But then the, the other side is this. Good things that should have happened didn't happen. Attachment, affirmation, nurture, love. And all of us, we are in either or both camps. There are bad things that happen that shouldn't have happened to you. And there are good things that happened that didn't happen to you. And so to to honor our father and mother, first of all, means we have to live in reality and not to make revisionist history. And so she says these words, and it's, it's, it's hard, and I disagree with it, but I think we need to hear where she's coming from. She says these words, and for, for those who have been abused, she says, you don't need to honor your father. People who have done you such harm do not deserve your love or respect, even if they are your parents. The price you pay for such filial devotion is appalling. 
the terrible physical torments you repeatedly go through. You can free yourself of them if you no longer obey the fifth commandment. Now, this is what she's saying. She's basically saying that honoring your parents, especially if they were not the best parents, especially if they were abusive parents, is a way of simply repressing emotions and memories long held, and that stuff gets stored in your body. And so if honoring means ignoring the bad that's happened to you, she wants no part of it. And so on one end of the spectrum, this is where her argument is helpful. We should not be ignoring what we've received because Jesus wants to heal us of certain things. And if you think, no, I'm good. I don't have any problems at all. You're missing out opportunities for Jesus to heal you. I did a genogram with someone. And we do genograms at New Life. There's a look in your bulletin. There's a genogram uh, session coming up soon where we look at our family history and the ways we've been shaped. And I went to one guy and I, and I said, I, he, look, he showed me his genogram and, in which we're talking about the positive legacies that we've received from our families and the negative legacies. And he had no negative legacies, no problems. And, and, I, and I said, wait a second. Uh, I think you need to do it again. And, and, and he said, no, 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 everything was, everything was great. Everything was great. And so I started asking questions. I said, we all come from mixed bags. Our parents weren't perfect. And there, I'm sure many of our parents did the best they could. Many of them were really good, but every parent has a gap. Can you name any gap? And he said, no, no, why are you trying to get me to hate my parents here? Why are you trying to dig up stuff? I don't want to dig up stuff. And I said, but there was nothing, not, not even one thing. And, and he said, listen, sure, in the 60s and 70s, sure, my mother would beat me. And sure, it would, be, it would be seen as abuse today. But that was back then. That was back then. That's just what they did. And I said, do you think any of that may have impacted how you see yourself today and the decisions you make? I don't know. And I'm thinking, no, no, it has. All of us come from a family of a mixed bag. Some more ba- good than bad. Some more bad than good. But if we're living in revisionist history... We're going to miss out on opportunities for Jesus to heal us. And so on one end of the spectrum, we ignore our parents and what they did. On another end, we just blame them for everything. And we live blaming and blaming and blaming and blaming and blaming. And both need to be rejected. And what are we to do? Honor. Not lie about the past. Not blame about the past. Honor. What does it mean to honor? Let me offer three things for us. This is so multi-layered. In a congregation of ours, over 75 nations represented in our congregation, this is so layered, so nuanced. And so let me do my best to try to capture some big picture uh, application for all of us. Now, to honor first means to see yourself as part of something bigger than yourself. Now, let me explain this. Greg Howe, one of our um, previous uh, preaching pastors who just recently moved, he co-authored a really wonderful book that everyone should read called Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents. came out in the late 90s, Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents. And in it, in, in Greg's chapter, which I found to be so insightful, uh, it's, it's a book written by Asian Americans uh, with Asian-American folks in mind, but it really has application across the board for all of us, whether you're Asian-American or not. And he says 
that there is a difference. He, he, is, he is mentoring and coaching someone uh, who is a student. And the student is upset because he feels his parents are trying to control him. I know none of you can relate to that. But, but, but his parents are trying to control him. And Greg, in this chapter, holds the distinction between Asian culture and Western culture. And I like how he does it to, to help this student see that you are, the way that your family, when, where they come from, there is a greater emphasis on the collective than the individual. And we just have to hold these in dynamic tension. And this is what he says. Stay with me with this. He says, the distinctive orientations of Asian and Western shape each culture. For example, group-oriented Chinese names often are composed of three characters. The first character, the family name, identifies our family or clan. And the second character often marks which generation of the family we belong to. The third and last character distinguishes us from our siblings and cousins, identifying us as individuals. The order of the the characters reveals the lower priority given to individual identity and the higher priority placed on group identity. In contrast, Western culture reverses the word order. They usually use the first name to distinguish an individual from the group and any remaining names to identify the individual as a member of a family or clan. The different cultural orientations affect the way Asians and non-Asians participate in our decision-making. This is just not Asian culture and pan-Asian cultures, African culture, Latino culture, various cultures in which there is group identity first as opposed to individual identity. But what we need to hold on to is that to honor especially in the culture where this is written in the book of Exodus, is that we have to remember that we are not individuals on our own journey, that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. Now, this differs from our American Western society. Listen, we have an iPhone. I, you know, my phone. (laughs) The the unholy trinity of our Western world is is me, myself, and I. This is... Uh, this is my, I want to go to my destination. I want to do my thing. This is my life. Leave me alone. I'm going to do whatever decision I want to do. And so we have to understand, really, the gospel and its cultural implications. Now, let me just say it this way. The gospel is often understood in individualistic terms. I got saved. I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. And when we hear that, it's, it's often the gospel of the American culture. Not that it's not true, but it's the gospel of American culture. But I would say that the gospel is not simply or maybe even primarily the message that you as an individual get to go to heaven. The gospel is that through Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, that a new family has been created. A new family. Here, there is more of a collective reality Are we individuals? Of course. Is my personal sin forgiven? Of course. But there's no passage in the Bible that says, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Zero. We belong to a larger reality. And so that means that we need to see our lives as belonging to a larger reality, which is why we honor those who have gone before us. Because it's not just us. Someone, we're standing on the shoulders of somebody else. This is why we we call our parents even when we don't feel like it. Why? Because we are trying to honor, we're trying to treat them with dignity. 
This means that when appropriate, hear that phrase, when appropriate, we invite our parents into our lives, inviting them into particular areas of our lives. Now, for some of you, that's hard. For others, it's easier, but we are inviting them. Why? Because you don't belong to yourself. We're part of something larger. We belong to God and we belong to each other. Amen? We belong to each other. And so to honor means we are part of something bigger than ourselves. To honor also means, and let me say this in the negative, to honor doesn't mean blind obedience. To honor does not mean blind obedience. Now, I, I want to just nuance this because there is a stage of life reality that this looks different at every age. If you have a 10-year-old in here, they're loving this sermon right now. What do you mean I don't have to? That, no obedience? But this doesn't apply to a 10-year-old. This doesn't apply to an 11-year-old. This, this, this does not apply. If my son heard this message and, and said, I'm not going to school tomorrow, I, 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 honor doesn't mean uh, obedience. I would say, no, no, you're going to school. There, there, there's no, there's no de- question about it, no debating. You're going to school. That's, that's what's going And so, but this is not about blind obedience. To honor your parents means you respect their position, but it doesn't mean blind obedience. Now, let me just pause for a second because this is really a good word for parents because some parents throughout various cultures, various nationalities, various ethnicities believe that their children need to obey them no matter how old they are. And so you have a 50-year-old who's being treated like he's 15, (laughs) And so parents, hear this word here, hear, hear this word. You treating your adult child like they're still seven is not what's reflected in the scriptures. Actually, it says, talking about marriage, so a man shall leave his mother and father. There's a time to leave. You're no longer under their authority. They're no longer under your authority. And to make them feel under authority is now an unhealthy fusion, an unhealthy, often manipulation. So let's let's hear, it doesn't mean blind obedience, and it doesn't mean that we have to treat our children, our adult children, as if they're still children. Now, I get this. Listen, I'm still cutting, my my daughter, Kara, she'll be 10. I'm still cutting her chicken for her. You know, uh, baby, you wanted me to cut that chicken for you, honey? I said, daddy, I got it, I got it. She's already 10. I I see her perpetually as a three-year-old. And I know when she's 20 and 25, I'll still see her as a three-year-old. Hey, let me just cut your chicken for you right now. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> and so I get it. I get it. I get it. But it doesn't mean blind obedience. Finally, and, and then I want to pray for each, have each other pray for uh, one another. To honor doesn't, it means, often means to forgive our parents. To forgive our parents. Now, this is not easy, so don't, don't hear it as this is just an easy thing, a walk in the park. Because, but, but it's hard to honor someone who you haven't forgiven. It's hard to honor someone you haven't forgiven. And the general principle of this command is honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. Now, again, that phrase is usually a threat, but it's really, it's a gift. And, and hear this. If you're harboring bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, that cannot help you live longer. That's going to affect your physiology. It's going to affect your emotional life. It's going to affect your psychology. 
If you're withholding forgiveness and you have resentment and anger and hostility, that will mess up your nervous system. And so maybe the principle here is already anticipating in the wisdom of God, anticipating the the, the stress disease, the unforgiveness disease connection, that often what we feel in our bodies comes as a result of the unforgiveness that we continue to withhold or the forgiveness we continue to withhold. And so in our allegiance to our Heavenly Father, in our allegiance to the kingdom of God, we are called to forgive. Now, Jesus says, forgive your enemies and bless those who seek to hurt you. And often our parents come under that category of enemies. Some of you, you view your parents as enemies. And if they're enemies, Jesus has a word for you as well of forgiveness. And this is not easy at all. But yet, this is the way to our own freedom. Now, forgiveness, I always have to nuance this because, especially with parenting relationships, this is so critical. Forgiving does not mean forgetting what someone has done. Forgiving doesn't mean that there are no consequences to what others have done. Forgiving doesn't mean that there's no pain of the grief that you still feel. To forgive does not mean that there is reconciliation. To forgive doesn't mean that things will be as they once were because often it's never, it'll never be what it once was. But we are still called to forgive. Let me close with this. I want to look at Jesus Christ for a moment here because the gospel is the good news that in Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with our Father in heaven. And this is good news because our deepest desires our deepest longing for belonging, our deepest longing for acceptance will never be fully realized through your parents. Never. In the same way that marriage will never satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, your parents can never do for you what only God can do for you. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is essentially this. Come to the Father who loves you with an unconditional love so that you can now honor your father and mother. Because we grew up in homes that often we did not feel unconditional love. Some of us come from homes where you just didn't measure up. Your parents think you married the wrong person. Your parents think you took the wrong career. Your your parents think you're not religious enough or you're too religious. And so what happens when you come from a home where it feels like The love is conditional. Well, you look to the unconditional love of the Father. And Jesus Christ has, through his death and resurrection, purchased this relationship for us. And it is out of receiving the love of this Father that we can now honor our father and mother. So here's the question. How's your relationship with your heavenly Father? That's the question, isn't it? Are you asking your parents, whether dead or alive, to do for you what only God can do for you? No, no, we we go to the Father in heaven who can only do for us what God can do, but out of that place now, Lord, now that I've received everything from you, teach me how to honor now my father and mother. Let's pray together. I invite you to close your eyes. I want to invite the prayer team just to come forward for a moment here. A message like this brings up a lot of emotions. 
because many of us, most of us, in some respect, all of us are wounded. We have father wounds, mother wounds. We, we just have unresolved issues that often get relived over and over and over again. And Jesus wants to set us free. And so we're going to have a time of worship maybe for the next five, seven minutes or so, singing and lifting our voices. But if the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you need grace, you need power, you need life from God, as we sing, just come forward. Our prayer team is here. We'd love to pray for you. I believe when we pray for one another, there is a unique release of the Holy Spirit's power that can set us free. And so if the Spirit of God has now spoken to you as we sing, don't be ashamed. We all have issues. We all have problems. But the Spirit wants to heal us and set us free. Lord Jesus, as we sing to you and as we respond, fill us with your grace. Empower us. Set us free. And Lord, teach us. We can't do this in our own strength, Lord. But when you empower us, we can. And so we sing to you. We respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's all stand. And as the Spirit leads, just come forward. Let's pray for you for the next few minutes.
Let's join our voice and sing this together. Healing is here. close in a moment but I want to not everyone is comfortable coming forward maybe if you're in the balcony down here and you're just like yeah God spoke to me and I just need prayer I want to lead out in a prayer for all of us and if you sense the spirit wants to address issues some areas that need healing in your life just right where you're at just raise your hand if you if you see a hand raised just put your hand on their shoulder we want to pray for each other we want to be the body of Christ for each other You should not be carrying wounds unhealed for year after year, decade after decade. Jesus Christ wants to set you free from all of the wounds that you have received. And so if you're like, I need to just, right where you're at, we're not going to, I'm not going to have you come forward, but raise your hand. If someone's around, just would you lay your hand on their shoulder? And I want to just bless you and pray that the Holy Spirit will release you and free you and rescue you to be all that he's called you to be. Lord Jesus, we take authority in this room in your name over every power, over every demonic stronghold, over every root of bitterness over every heart of unforgiveness. Lord, in the name of Jesus, liberate and set free. Lord, people have been in bondage for years and decades, forfeiting all that you want to give them. In the name of Jesus, set the captives free. Liberate in the name of Jesus. Send your spirit, Lord. Heal, Lord, wounds from 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 20-year-olds. Lord, wounds that have been festering from one generation to the next. And we believe that in the name of Jesus, the demonic powers that have held people captive can be set free, can be loosed. Because healing is here in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we proclaim that truth over every person in this room. Over every person watching online, listening, we proclaim your truth in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mold us, Lord. Make us. Call us into this new reality. That this is what free people look like. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Do heart surgery on us, Lord. Restore and heal the scripts, the wounds, the patterns, Lord. In your name, they can be broken. Renew us, restore us, resurrect us. We pray these things in your name. Our prayer team is going to be here. Our sister Adelaide has the bread and the cup. And so if you want to receive communion today, she'll be here to offer that to you. But our prayer team is here. If the Lord is working on you, don't, don't run out of here. What's another five minutes to address something that you've been carrying for five years and 10 years and 20 years? What's five minutes? And so we'll, we'll be praying for each other here. We have the bread and the cup where we are reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. His death and resurrection give us access to the, uh, to the Father where we draw our life from. And when we draw our life from our Father, we, we, we essentially release our parents from, do, from doing and being what only God can do and be. And we say, I'm sorry for raising you up to be God. You could not be God. But now I release you because I have a heavenly father who loves me unconditionally. And so let's, let us live from that place. And so the bread and the cup is here. Prayer ministry is here. Whatever you need, we want to serve you. And so as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And let the father in heaven, let, let these words just be a blessing from our father in heaven to you. That Jesus wants to release us and set us free. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving sisters and brothers and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving from our Father in heaven what only our Father can give, unconditional love. And may you receive that love, live in that love, abide in that love, and out of that place, may the Lord give you grace and strength to honor your father and mother whether they have passed on or whether they are, they are alive. May you receive every gift of the Holy Spirit and may the Lord lead you into new experiences of freedom. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the loving, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Grace and peace to you all.